Since the summer of 2022, the private equity industry has faced a number of challenges. Off the back of rising inflation, higher interest rates, and recession fears, global deal making is, is edging towards a 10-year low. But what does that look like for the equity co-investment model? We were actually up um, 30% for the year, uh, despite the markets being down. So we've seen over, over 1,000 transactions this year. That's Ken Binnick, Managing Director and Global Head of Execution for Hamilton Lane's direct equity platform. Prior to joining Hamilton Lane in 2023, he spent 15 years at Portfolio Advisors, where he served as co-head of co-investments, having played an integral role in developing the firm's direct equity co-investment initiatives, which led to him successfully executing over 100 equity co-investment transactions during his tenure. On today's episode, I will ask Ken to provide real-time insights into the current private equity market landscape, touching on fundraising, valuations, exits, and deal-making, as well as give us a sneak peek into the exciting world of equity co-investments. I'm your host, Fabio Montaigne, and this is Private Markets Made Human, the podcast from Hamilton Lane that breaks information and perspective from our greatest asset, our people. Ken, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I thought we could kick today's episode off by asking you to give our listeners a high-level overview of the private equity landscape today, how it, was, how it has evolved, and how it's broken down. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's a real privilege to be here. I've heard a lot of great things. So, so thanks. Um, in terms of the, the private equity landscape, I mean, that's obviously uh, garnered a lot of attention um, over the last several years and, and has grown quite significantly, I think, uh, not only from the poor companies that are looking to access the private capital, but also for investors who are looking to diversify away from, from public markets, um, and, and rightly so, right? If you look at the the returns over a long period of time, if you go back 15, even 22 years, you can see the outperformance and, and in some ways a pretty significant margin. So, you know, that that is, I think, is going to continue. Um, you know, that the private equity market in general is sort of broken down into venture, growth equity, buyout, and then you have a little bit of distressed uh, as, as part of that market in general. Um, you know, the buyout market being the most significant of those. It'd be great to get some real-time insights from you on how the industry has performed in the last sort of 12, 24 months. Maybe starting with fundraising, could you shed some light on how this has trended? Yeah, make no mistake about it. It's, uh, it's been difficult. Uh, I think across the board, uh, anyone who's, who's been lucky enough to, to get in and out of a, a fundraise with a one and done, uh, you know, I think that's few and far between. I think in general, it's become uh, quite a challenge for folks. Uh, it's definitely gone down over the last couple of years. Um, you know, that, that part of the market and, and that dynamic is, is actually really beneficial to, to uh, co-investors. And, and we could touch on that a little bit later. But um, yeah, fundraising has been very challenging. I think the exit volume has come down quite significantly. So I think that's tied hand in hand to to investors making new commitments. Um, if they've got capital tied up and assets, and um, it's really hard for them to to kind of move along and, and make an additional commitment to a fund that's out fundraising right now. If we were to maybe think about a pretty hotly contested topic, valuations, um, we've seen quite some volatility in the public markets in the last 24 months, uh, S&P falling 20% or so in 22, 
rebounding just over 20% in 23. Um, how have PE marks valuations evolved in light of this? Good question. I mean, obviously, there is, there is a correlation there. I, I'd say generally, when you look at buyout, um, I think asset values remain high. Um, they have come off a little bit depending on industry. Um, I think if you go down uh, to more of the growth equity and venture type transactions in the tech space, I think they've those multiples have fallen off pretty considerably. Um, but you know there are less and less transactions getting done right today in terms of expectations between buyers and sellers. The ones that do uh, end up getting transacted on are more often than not are are sort of the 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 better performing assets or what I would call grade A. Um, and therefore have fetched you know, some higher, higher valuations. Moving to deal-making, uh, you, you mentioned exits are, are trending downwards. What does that look like for deal-making? Uh, how, how, how are we doing, I guess, relative to 21, which was a record year? 2022 was a little bit softer, let's say. What's that shaping out to be like in 2023? Overall, deal volume has been down pretty significantly um, uh, across the board. I will say you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell if you looked at, at the deal volume that we have internally here um, at Hamilton Lane as it relates to direct equity. Um, we were actually up um, thirty percent for the year, uh, despite the markets being down. So we've seen over over a thousand transactions this year. Um, but in terms of of the general market, it's there's just a a disconnect between buyers and sellers right now. Um, I think, you know, anecdotally, you speak to a lot of, of GPs out there, and I think they, they just they haven't been able to adjust, right? Um, they think that their assets are worth a lot more than I think they would trade in, in today's environment, just given leverage levels, interest rates, some of the uncertainty, and they're not ready to sell. Um, you know, the buyers out there are expecting a little bit of a discount. So, um, you know, I think that kind of clears up a little bit. Um, as there's there's more clarity, I think there's also been a message delivered to um, to GPs. Uh, hopefully, it's been you know well received or heard. But but I think any investor that you've talked to over the last several months has has been very straightforward with the fact that they want to see distributions. Um, and so, you know, I think. GPs holding on to, a, to an asset that's performed, looking for another half turn or a turn. Um, you know, I think having heard that message, I think going into 2024, hopefully they'll, they'll be more inclined to, to sell those assets and to listen to investors. I thought we might shift gears slightly here uh, to delve a little bit more into the world of equity co-investments, your world. Uh, it'd be great if you could kick this off by providing an intro to Hamilton Lane's direct equity platform. You know, I've, I've kind of snuck in a few of those co-investment uh, highlights along the way. So, so this is this is great to to be able to highlight it in a little bit more detail. Um, you know, we we've had co-investing uh, at Hamilton Lane for a long period of time. Um, you know, really, really from the start of of things at, at Hamilton Lane. So, so if you think about, we've got about thirty years of of experience doing this. Uh, if you look at the current state of, of our platform, we've got 40 investment professionals that focus just on this strategy, and that's that's global. Uh, we've got about 14 billion under management. We've executed 580 deals. So 
So there's there's quite a bit of experience and data um, that goes into this, and and you know that that platform executes uh, on, on a number of different uh, strategies, right? We do have venture. There is an element of growth, and when I say forty professionals that are dedicated, um, I just want to stress that that co-investment in general is is a platform play, right? Um, and so. If you think about those folks that are that are dedicated, that's in conjunction with the rest of the platform. So, you know, we the backbone of the the whole uh, co-investment industry and Hamilton Lane is really the the pri- the primary relationships. So we have sixty investment professionals on that team scouring the market, forming very strong relationships uh, in those arenas, and that's really where where it all starts, right? And that's where the deal flow comes from. That's where the expertise starts. So when you think about that, um, there's a, a very powerful engine in terms of how we source, how strong our relationships are um, across the firm. That's super helpful background. And you know, we talked about it earlier. You mentioned deal flow is up considerably in 23 um, relative to last year. Uh, is it curious to hear why you think that is the case. Is that down to our sourcing engine? Is that down to our focus uh, in the middle market? Uh, it, would be, it would be great to understand that a little bit more. Yeah, certainly Certainly, back to some of the dynamics we touched on earlier, right, which is there's a void to be filled in terms of, of equity, uh, just given the, the current state of the credit markets. But, but to, your, to your point that you just mentioned, it, it is really the sourcing engine. So um, if you look around I think the industry, and you look at our primary capabilities, I think it's it's the strongest or at least one of the strongest platforms out there. We put $35 billion of, of primary capital to work last year. Um, so that tells me, you know, we've got 500 plus GP relationships um, across the market that, that we're in contact with on a, on a pretty regular basis. And then if you if you add further to that that there are actual formal sourcing processes in place and objectives and projects um, that really leads you to to what we were talking about before where the funnel increases and we just become a, a more strategic partner to our GPS just given our size um, and the amount of capital that we can provide as well um, so I think all those factors uh, are, are really pointing to to that increase Interesting, yeah. So private equity deal making down. Uh, however, we've got slower fundraising environments and arguably a much lower appetite for leverage, which is creating a a capital gap where equity co-invests uh, can can come in play. Um, it'd be interesting to hear about maybe some of the char- key characteristics we look for in, in a transaction. I think one of the the real highlights for co-investment, right, is the the diversification, right. So, um, I think. Where we start is let's partner with the the strongest relationships we have, the best relationships we have, and who are experts in the in the space in, in those particular sectors or subsectors. And to me, um, that generally mitigates or removes a layer of risk, right? Because now you're you're scouring or sourcing from a private equity market that's it's a risk asset, but now you've, you've mitigated that layer, right? You're sourcing from the best or what you believe is the best. I think, you know, the deals that we execute on are from, I think it's 73% 
of, of the deals are from first or second quartile sponsors or the funds are. Um, to me, that's that's pretty impressive, and and you're sourcing and executing from a a, a very impressive, um, attractive pool of of assets. Um, when we look at deals, especially in this environment, I think you've got to you've got to find deals and assets that have multiple levers to grow. Um, certainly, you're going to be challenged here in this environment with multiple expansion. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, to a large extent, financial engineering with leverage has is, is been removed. And I think we all have to assume that you know, today's state is sort of the new normal. And so where does that leave us? We really need to have, I think it's going to be more important than ever to find strong organic growth and different ways to, to execute on that. Um, but then I think on the other side is you, you almost have to open up the old playbook and, and start looking at, at costs and margins, uh, optimization, uh, enhancements on on the cost side um, to really start adding value. Um, so we want to see all of those, and we want to see multiple different levers that we're able to pull. Just because the, look, the market evolves c- constantly, as we've seen over the last couple of years, right? So uh, you you really want to remove yourself from being a, a one trick pony, uh, if you will, and and be able to to pivot midway. Right. Um, these are long hold periods. So we want to have the ability to pivot midlife um, during the investment. And then I think lastly, uh, what we're really trying to, to focus on is, is capital preservation and downside protection. So, um, you know, I think anybody looking to, to invest in a co-investment fund, uh, they're not looking for us to, to get the, you know, venture like 5x, 6x returns. I think they want steady, consistent returns with with uh, the, the, where they're protected well on the on the downside, so we'll take our two and a half to three and a half times return, and we want to make sure our loss ratios are are very low. Uh, interesting that you touched on returns there and and men- mentioned the the multiple expansion. Uh, it's clear that with a low interest rate environment, private equity has benefited tremendously from that. Um, and and I think I read a stat somewhere that you know multiple expansion has accounted for a good chunk of 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 the value there. Uh, in your opinion, with this sort of higher rate environment probably being here to you know to stay, do you think it's realistic to expect similar returns as delivered maybe in the last 10, 15 years? I mean, I guess I'll start off. It's always helpful to to start off talking about things on a relative basis, right? So so when I look at the private equity markets vis-a-vis the public markets. I think they'll continue to outperform, right? History uh, will tell us that. I think if you look over the last 20 plus years, it's very consistent that they they do outperform. I don't see any reason uh, that that won't continue. Um, now, when I look at, at returns specifically related to private equity, I, I think you're right. I think the, the financial engineering part has gone away. Multiple expansion has gone away. Um, now, that... I think there's just going to be a larger dispersion of returns, frankly. I think we could still hit those targets. Not all managers are created equal. Um, and I think it's going to be more important than ever to align yourself with with the best managers. Because, you know, we touched on it a little bit earlier, I, I think it is going to be about execution. Um, you know, how do you go in there and, and execute on not only M&A, right, but, but really strong uh, organic plays? And how do you go in and enhance your supply chain or 
you know, rationalize your cost structure in an appropriate way without impacting the top line extensively, um, and and really having the network to bring those experts in. So, um, you know, I think I think it's going to be harder, uh, but I think those returns are, are certainly achievable. And I think one interesting thing that I read as well is obviously the current rate environment isn't too dissimilar to what we had prior to the GFC. Um, and, you know, that was a, uh, a period where private equity performed extremely well, too. So I think, as you said, opening the old playbook is, is what's probably going to have to happen. Um, what about um, HL's thematic approach? Are there any industries we avoid? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's an interesting question. I, I, look, I think the thematic approach is an interesting one. Um, and certainly from a, a co-investment perspective, I think it's hard to... Um, drill down and say that here are the themes that we have come up with and are going to execute on um, because the reality is the experts are the GPs that you're aligning yourself with, right? And they're coming up with the theses around that. And the beauty of co-investment is that we get to see everything. Um, you know, we are, we are on the front row. There's communication across this firm. Uh, between secondaries and primaries and co-investing. We're having hundreds of meetings a year where we're talking to GPs and understanding you know, their playbook, what they're seeing in the market, and, and that's all being communicated back to us. So you know, we're constantly evolving. We're looking at different sectors, probably the same sectors, but different subsectors in every one year. And, and, that, and the beauty of it is that we can pivot and transition into into different subsectors based on the experts within that that those industries, and we have access to them. Um, you know, if you look at sort of the, the the market, I know our data suggests that um, when you start to break down industry and and subsectors in any one given year, that, from year to year that changes, right? So um, it's good to be diversified. It's good to be agile and to be able to pivot uh, throughout the investment period. Um, to your question on industries we avoid, I, I mean, I'll speak for myself in, in some sense. I, I think, you know, restaurants are a little bit difficult uh, for me to swallow, especially, you know, when you think about uh, new concepts in general. To me, it's a, a little bit of lightning in a bottle. Um, you know, so that's a, a harder one or a, a higher bar for us uh, in terms of, of getting comfortable there. And we want to make sure we limit our exposure. That's not to say you can't execute well, and we have sponsors that have done well there. Um, so I don't want to discount it too much. And I think if you look at sort of disc consumer discretionary, um, I, I think that that sector can do well. I think where we really want to focus is around fad risk, um, having sort of a single product. I, I think those two areas are, are where we 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 tend to, to stay away from. And then I think just energy has been pretty volatile. So we, we for the most part, especially in, in EMP, we, we stay away from it. Uh, thanks. That's a helpful background. And now if you're just thinking about probably the biggest buzzword uh, for 2023, AI, I'm curious to hear how that's impacting our decision making. Well, you know, certainly AI is not making the decisions for us at this point, unless uh, Eric and Juan have something up their sleeve, I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, in all seriousness, you know, we, we are trying to utilize AI as much as possible in, in terms of our investment process. Um, 
and trying to streamline things and make things more efficient so we can focus our attention on, on some of the things that really matter. So that's one element, and we continue to look at that. As you know, uh, just from a Hamilton Lane perspective, that's we are on the forefront of technology, and, and that continues to be the case. I would say from an investment perspective, <coughs> a- AI is a part of every discussion, um, and and it needs to be. So now that's not to say I, – I think – I think we have to be careful not to get caught up in the AI hype in every industry or sub-industry because while it's always on the horizon and and a risk, it doesn't necessarily mean that these companies are going to be displaced um, and uh, at least in the near term or, or, you know, even in the long term. I I think what we're looking for is company or companies that are, are sort of embracing that change. So to some extent, there is AI involved, even in the, the sleepiest of, of industries and businesses. And how are they embracing that for their, the, next, the next turn? Um, and, and so that's a really important element and discussion that we have in, in all of our ICs. Um, there's, you also want to look at things uh, from our perspective. We, we say, OK, here's how the business looks today. Here's how we should execute, here's how AI is going to impact the industry, um, you know, now and over this period. But how does this all look at the at exit, right? Because we, ha- we have to be able to sell a product in a, a company at the end of our five-year hold, right? So um, looking at a little bit more is, is difficult, but you have to make sure that you're thinking about it and hedge that risk appropriately. No, thanks. That's interesting color. I think, yeah, AI is definitely a risk, but an opportunity. And as exactly as you said, don't, don't get on the AI hype too much, right? I think people yeah. overbake it sometimes. Again, this has been super interesting to get under the hood of both the private equity landscape and, and more interestingly, probably, probably for myself, and I'm sure the listeners, the world of equity co-investments. Just as a wrap-up question, I'd be very interested to hear your views on what do you when do you th- what do you think the industry needs to happen for private equity deal making exits fundraising etc to regain the scene that we had prior to 2022 you know i think the table has been set to some extent um where we mentioned before i think the message has been very clearly delivered to gps that lps want exits um they've been holding on to assets for for a long time um, it is important. It's important to returns. It's important to their investors. Um, I think there's a, a lot of pent up demand, um, and so I think that um, you know disconnect between buyers and sellers is getting smaller, um, and so that that is setting us up. Uh, I think what we've seen anecdotally is in the private credit markets that pricing's coming down a little bit as well. So I think that helps. Uh, enhance momentum, and and so we do have the makings here of of uh, I think a, a better year for sure, and an increase in in deal volume. There are still some things out there that that could potentially get in the way of that. I think critic um, critical to that is is making sure that inflation continues to be managed correctly and does not uh, is not worse than than what we're expecting or or seeing right now. Um, in which case, uh, interest rates will be a little bit more manageable, um, 
I think if if we can keep inflation at bay, we can keep interest rates um, stable at least, and not in an increasing uh, environment. I, I think you're going to see the. I think you're going to see volume start to increase uh, pretty nicely for 2024. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Private Markets Made Human. Please stay tuned for our next episode.